He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Not bad. I didn't know how many of you would know that. <laughs> and you've probably got a kind of a hint that we're looking at the fact that God loves us this morning. So let me tell you what happened. Is that I was well on the way to having everything organized for what I wanted to say this morning. And on Wednesday afternoon, I just felt this stirring about something. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I realized that over the last two weeks, um, I had spoken about the first Sunday we got back together like this, about keeping focused, that some things do not change, that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that we are open to the voice of the Spirit, that the gospel is still the same, the good news the same, yesterday, today, and forever, like the carrier of the gospel, Jesus. And that we should stir and fan all that. And, and it was about keeping focused. And then last week, there was a second imperative because there are things that have changed. Not only through the cataclysm of the pandemic, but have been changing over the last 10, 15, 20 years as we've moved from uh, what we knew in the 90s into a postmodern era, into a post Christian era. And how, as his children, we have to take what we have that is unchanging, but we have to make it real, relevant, up to date in terms of the context in which we live. And so the imperative was that we are, each of us, wherever we are, wherever in our families and amongst our friends, at work, at school, we are missionaries. And so there was the second imperative. And then I twigged what was disturbing me. It's easy when we have such a large task, and as I think it was Ian prayed, that it seems like the 99 have gone, and the one is there. That we have such a huge mission, such a large task, that it's easy to get into a finger-wagging mode and say, we should be doing this, you should be doing that, I ought to be doing something else. And I just felt a great need to stop for a moment. And say, we need to never, ever, ever forget that we are loved. We don't do this because we ought to have to, must do it. We do it because we've been gripped by love. God loves you. God loves me. It's an overwhelming thing to say out in the open. But you know what children are like. If you haven't got them, you've been around them. And so you want them to be decent human beings. So you say to them when they're little, no, don't do that. And they learn how to have good manners. They learn to eat properly. They learn that they must brush their teeth at night. <laughs> they ought to have a bath. But when we go and look after our grandchildren and their parents are not there, they spin yarns about the fact that, no, they don't normally bath on a Friday night. Mm. We have to have certain things that we are reminded of over and over and over again because it slips from our conscious mind. And we need to be affirmed, reaffirmed. And even in our relationships that are secure, those things that we 
treasure, the love that we have of our parents, of our siblings, of our spouse, of our children. Even then we crave to be told that we love or shown that we love, even if we've known it for decades. And so all I'm hoping for this morning is that it's reawakened in us that we are loved by God. And the passage that David read for us, the first passage in Psalm 136, the psalmist is trying to do exactly what I'm saying this morning. His love endures forever. So he makes a statement and then he, the refrain, and it would normally have been a congregational refrain. The whole of the children of Israel, when they read the psalm together, whether it was when they were gathered or whether it was in the synagogue, if the priest read the first line, the entire congregation would say, his love endures forever. And then he would say one more line, his love, it would hammer home. They would be saying it in chorus over and over, 24 times, 27 times as it goes through the verse. And Paul, in the same way as Derek read for us from Romans 8, he says, this love of God is the standard measure. This is the baseline of everything. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing in the whole world that he falls over himself to express how impossible it is that we would be unhinged from God's love in Jesus. Here's a passage that I'm going to read from the message. It's Luke 15, if you know it, but, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Luke 15 from verse 11. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all throughout that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assisted him with his fields and to slot the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slot, but no one would give him it. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling out to the servants, Quick! Bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead, 
but now alive. Given up for lost, but now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older brother was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in, and as he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Calling to one of the houseboys, he asked him what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast. Barbecued beef. Because he's, he has him again, hope, safe and sound. The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then the son of yours, who has thrown away your money on whores, shows up, and you go all out with a feast. His father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time. We had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. It doesn't matter what damage has been done to the father by the younger son. And even though the older brother is aggrieved and angry and has all kinds of stuff welling up him about resentment for not having got what he thinks he deserves, the consistent thing of the father is that this is my son. Nothing will separate him from my love. Nothing that he does can interrupt the fact that I love him unreservedly, eternally. And the father, not only just half-heartedly, but runs out and embraces him and showers him with what is necessary. To be loved like that, to be accepted like that, to be forgiven like that, is remarkable. And someone said that mercy is not getting what you deserve. So the Father shows him mercy. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. And the Father shows him grace. And opens his life, receives him, forgives him by his actions. And he is set free. He's restored. He has a fresh beginning. That's what it means to be loved. Lord, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Your grace is sufficient for me. We are all prodigals, every one of us. And every single day he says, come here, let me give you a, let me give you a hug. Let me embrace you. Let me put sandals on your feet, the ring of inheritance back on your finger. Are you hungry? Let me feed you. Let's party together. Let's celebrate. Let's enjoy the fullness of what I have for you. Every single day. That is love. In 1973, Billy Graham came to South Africa. He'd been invited many times before that date, but he'd refused. For 20 years, he'd refused to come to South Africa until 
The stadiums were open to anybody who wanted to come. It was at the height of the apartheid government. The meeting in Durban was the first time that there had been a meeting like that. In other words, they basically suspended all the, all the laws, the apartheid laws, for anybody to come. I was at the stadium. The only police were the traffic police, making sure everything went smooth. Unheard of. And then he moved up to Johannesburg. And the... Well, it, it's... I was at Bible college at that time. And... Um, the meeting was at the Wanderers Cricket Ground. And I had been there so many times in my life. With my dad playing... And it was just a totally different thing because not only were the stands full, but half the field was full of people. And the day before, on the, uh, I think it was a Friday, I think it was a Saturday that we met there, I'd been out with my dad to Gary Player's farm and we'd met with Billy Graham. And he's an enormous man, he was. I, I, I just remember his, him as being huge. But... It wasn't that. There was this sense of God's presence. This calm, peaceful, powerful man. And I was in the crowd there. I'd been a counselor in Durban. I was a counselor in Johannesburg. And he stood up, this imposing man. And he opened his Bible and he read, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he began to preach. For God, I remember clearly to this day, so loved, and he, he, he emphasized every phrase. And he stood there and he said, so loved. And I want to say to you and I again this morning, for God so loved you, and me, Ian, and Britt, and Mark, and Kathy, each one of us. He so loves us that he gives himself to us. For God so loved the world. He said it during the preach that, that was the first Bible verse he ever memorized by heart. It was one of the first I ever memorized by heart. For God so loved the world, the whole world. Every human being you encounter. Every part of creation. And me. It's overwhelming. And that day when he made a call, I went down with all my little packets and booklets and trained to the hilt as a counsellor. And there were two young black men who were in the crowd. I will never forget. Luke Utilezi <coughs> and Repentance Nisa. And I spoke to them, and I said, my name is Chris, what is your name? He said, Luke, and this guy said, Repentance. And I said, no, I know why you've come. <laughs> but what is your name? So he said, Repentance. So I said, yes, I know. He said, no, my name is Repentance. And yes, <laughs> I blushed. <laughs> repentance, I, I, I lost contact with him, but I found about 10, 15 years later that Repentance was working in the highlands of Lesotho, little mountain kingdom. The highlands have no roads. And he was going from village to village, telling them about the love of Jesus. God loves you. 
There is no other message. God sent His Son because He loves us. He loves us unreservedly, unreservedly and eternally. For God so loved the world. Chapter 15 of John's Gospel, he says this. I'll read from verse 9 just to give it the context. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and abide in his, I live in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be, may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down their life for, the, for his friends, which is what Jesus did for us. Have you got your Bible? Please read for us. 1 John 4 and from verse 7. Dear friends, we should love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has become God's child and who knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only Son into the world so we could have life through him. This is what real love is. It's not our love for God, it's God's love for us in sending his son to be the way to take away our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us that much, we also should love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made perfect in us. We know that we live in God, and He lives in us because He gave us His Spirit. We have seen and can testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God has God living inside, and that person lives in God. So we know that the love that God has for us, sorry, and so we know the love that God has for us, and we trust that love. God is love. Those who live in love in God, and God lives in them. We could take a whole week to unpick all the richness of that passage. But our concept of God shapes who we are. How you perceive who God is, our Father, and who Jesus is, and how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives shapes who we are. And we need to reaffirm over and over again, not only is God loving, it's not only something that He does. He can't help Himself because this passage reiterates twice, it says it clearly, that's the essence of His being. The essence of who God is, is that He is love. When the Spirit of God comes and fills us, and there is some kind of manifestation of the presence of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the first thing it says is clearly love, joy, which is what we just read in John 15. Peace, patience, kindness, love. And all of those things are an expression of the being of, of the Father, the being of the, the essence of the being of God. God is love. 
And that's the thing that ought to define us as human beings. That's the thing that defines us as followers of Jesus. That we lay down our lives, not because we ought to have to, must in some way do it, but because we have been overwhelmed by the fact that we are loved. Who wouldn't want to share that? 